It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. One, suspending the Constitution in a state of emergency. Two, Texas is back. Three, one more time. Why don't male models make as much as female models? It's not right. It's not fair. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Monday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment, at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube, and follow me on X, at Will Kane for the latest of every episode and the future of the Will Kane Podcast. It is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. I don't know that this should ever be a 9-11 that passes without us taking just one moment, at least one moment, and remembering what happened 22 years ago today. In the wake of 9-11, I remember working at a small-town newspaper in Johnson City, Texas, and there being some question about whether or not a public debate about whether or not we should continue to show images, graphic images, of those buildings collapsing, of people falling out of the windows. And I remember writing a column in a weekly newspaper read by, at best, 1,500 people, that yes, we must always see those images. We can't censor ourselves from that reality so that we never forget what happened on that day. Here, 22 years later, to some extent, it is now more present in the history books than it is in many of our minds. There are college kids who weren't born yet when those terror attacks in New York and Washington, D.C. and Shanksville, Pennsylvania took place. But as it kind of fades into the history books, never let it fade from our reality. What happened on September 11th of 2001? It is the Monday after the first weekend of professional football. As you're listening, the games will have concluded. I will already be joyous or distraught over week one of the Dallas Cowboys. But as I'm speaking to you right now, that game has not yet taken place. It has power. It has the power it should not have over any adult man to dictate my mood and to also redeem my weekend. This has been one of the worst travel weekends of my entire professional commuting experience from Dallas to New York. Over the past two and a half years, I did have one horrific night where, due to weather in New York City, they dumped me down into Philadelphia at 11 o'clock at night. I was hosting Fox and Friends the next morning. Needed to be here in New York City at least by 5 a.m. And they sort of saluted me and said, see ya. Good luck. I ended up with a car service at something like 1 a.m., put me into my office at 3 a.m. for about an hour of sleep, maybe two hours of sleep on my very uncomfortable office couch before getting up and getting ready to do Fox and Friends. That was a miserable night. 
There have been at least in those two and a half years also another night or two where for various reasons in New York, I couldn't get out. I'm set to go home, set to see my family and delays stretch in one hour increments from noon to one to three to eight before I pull the ripcord and say, I guess I'm spending the night in New York City. But they have been mostly few and far between. This weekend, I got it all, all in one weekend. On Friday, I was dumped into Philadelphia. This time, luckily, it was something like five o'clock in the evening. So I still had time to figure it out. And I ended up catching a flight on Friday night, just in the nick of time to put me into New York by like 10 p.m. so I could get to bed at a reasonable hour, a reasonable hour, something like five hours of sleep on Friday night. I stayed up on Saturday night and deprived myself of sleep. More on that in just a moment here on the Will Kane podcast. And then yesterday, Sunday, I got the situation where the rolling delay started in one and a half, one and a half hour increments until... I was delayed from 12 to roughly 8, putting me into Dallas close to past midnight on Sunday night. All in one weekend, but the power of the Dallas Cowboys, and it's a mystery right now. Is it redemption, or is it the cherry on top of an awful weekend? We'll be right back with more of the Will Kane Podcast. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Story number one, suspending the Constitution in a state of emergency. New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham announced late last week that she was suspending the open carry, concealed carry laws in Albuquerque, New Mexico, due to an epidemic of gun violence under the powers of of a public health emergency order. Grisham said she had the power to suspend parts of the Constitution, such as the Second Amendment, which she suggested are not absolute. She also said her oath to uphold the Constitution, an oath that she and other public figures take when they are elected to office, was also not absolute. Grisham was saying this after a spate of violent incidences in New Mexico where several children were killed in gun violence. And in order to do something about that violence, She suggested that no one would be able to brandish a gun in Bernalillo County, not under any law, not under any permit, no guns allowed. And by doing that, she suggested for 30 days, they can reassess this situation, figure out something and painted herself as a hero looking for any solution to end this epidemic of gun violence that was claiming the lives of children. In the press conference where she announced this, she was pressed. She was pressed on whether or not this would actually work. Reporter said, you know, the guys that are committing gun violence are committing crimes. So what's going to stop them from carrying a gun just because under your order, it's another crime. And she admitted that practically she didn't know how it would work. 
The sheriff of Bernalillo County and other law enforcement officers in New Mexico also said that they had an oath under the Constitution to uphold the laws of the United States of America, and they would not be enforcing Grisham's order, making it practically worthless. She was also pressed on the constitutionality of her ability to suspend American rights under a state of emergency. She also admitted then that it probably wouldn't survive. She didn't know, but it probably wouldn't survive constitutional challenge. It wouldn't survive a case before the Supreme Court of the United States. It is a absolutely eye-opening move, though, by Grisham. Whether or not it would work and whether or not it would survive a challenge before the Supreme Court, it is shocking and revealing. It is eye-opening, and it shows you the instinct of a politician. I would suggest to you many politicians who believe that ultimately the rule of law is the rule of their word. And it only takes their perception of an emergency to set aside your rights as a citizen. There is nothing, nothing more important than their perception of an emergency and by extension, their power. This was the point of the Constitution of the United States, to limit the government, to limit the federal government, but it was incorporated into the state governments through the Bill of Rights, to limit the government's ability, their power, and their ability to infringe upon your rights, of your freedom as a citizen of the United States. It was obviously never intended that a simple state of emergency could suspend your rights, could suspend your freedom. But while Grisham reveals the instinct, she isn't the trial balloon. The trial balloon on this, really for most of us, at least in our lifetime— wasn't even COVID. That's what many point to as the trial balloon. That's when a state of emergency was declared. And we saw the government trample under rights we were not experienced in seeing rolled back. Like you had to close your business. You had to clo- cover your face. You, you had to get a shot to keep your job. You had to distance from one another. You had to pull your children out of school. All due to a state of emergency. No, but really, honestly, the trial balloon on this was following September 11th, 2001. It was following a terrorist attack on the United States. And we passed then the Patriot Act, which allowed the government expansive abilities to trample over our rights guaranteed under the Constitution, to look into our phones and look into our lives and invade our right to privacy. And we readily checked so many of those rights at the door, never to be returned, due to our need for safety, due to fear, due to this emergency, the threat of terrorism. We should have known then, many of us did know then, the cost that would one day come due. That cost became most obvious then again in COVID with yet another state of emergency, another, not encroachment, but invasion of our rights it's hardly the trial balloon today it's just yet another step forward that governments across the country state and local governments the federal government would attempt to declare other states of emergency state of new york has declared a state of emergency over racism declared a pandemic of racism 
Gun violence, an epidemic of gun violence, requires a state of emergency. Climate crisis, the climate crisis, requires a state of emergency. And politicians paint this as the cause that they are heroically but practically ready to challenge and ready to step forward to solve for us, to solve for their citizenry, to solve for Americans. But in order to do so, they just need us, one more time, to give up a few of our rights. In this case, the right guaranteed in the Second Amendment of the Constitution, the right to keep and bear arms. The Supreme Court has said that right allows for us to keep those guns on our person. Concealed carry, open carry, constitutional carry has been incorporated by the Supreme Court of the United States as an understanding under the Second Amendment of the United States. For example, the state of New York can't require you to show necessity for a permit to carry a gun. No, that's an abrogation of the Second Amendment of the United States. So while this isn't the trial balloon, it's yet another use of a declared state of emergency to invade our rights. What it is, I do believe, is still shocking, and it is still eye-opening, and it is still revealing about the instincts of a politician, and in many cases, I think, the instincts of a political party and the Democrat Party. And that is the idea that there is nothing above politics. There's nothing above personal power. There's nothing above the politician. There is no constitution that is needed to rein in their power. It's so shocking and so eye-opening that it's too much even for some. And I will say even for some on the left, Congressman Ted Lieu of California said, I support gun safety laws. However, this order from the governor of New Mexico violates the U.S. Constitution. No state in the union can suspend the federal constitution. There is no such thing as a state of public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. David Hogg, the gun control advocate, one-time high school student, survivor of a school shooting in Florida, tweeted, I support gun safety, but there is no such thing as a state of public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. I don't know that they sang those same songs during COVID. But while Hogg and Lou say the governor of New Mexico has gone too far, forgive me if I don't believe she's actually revealed the instinct of many politicians, especially those on the left, to show no deference and to readily set aside the United States Constitution. I believe the governor of New Mexico should be immediately impeached. She is unfit for office. She does not understand the duties to be upheld as governor of New Mexico. She does not honor the limitations on the duties of her office as governor of New Mexico. And I do believe that what she is doing, what she is suggesting here, is worthy of more than just impeachment. I believe that this needs to be looked at as an act of treason. This is an assault on the rights of the citizens of the United States. Don't go anywhere. More of the Will Cain podcast right after this. Story number two. Texas is back. I stayed calm. I held it back. I wasn't looking to come barging through the gates and declare it so. I wasn't looking to brashly offend. I wasn't looking for my first excuse to yell, Texas is back. But I got to tell you, friends, Texas is back. Saturday night, Texas, the Texas Longhorns, 
marched into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and handily, assuredly defeated the Alabama Crimson Tide. This was no fluke, folks. This was an absolute win. Texas was the better team. For far too often, Texas has teased. For far too often, Texas has promised false hope. For far too often, they have crushed our dreams. My friend Joe Tessitore attempted to usher Texas back in 2016 when they beat Notre Dame. Of course, they weren't back. Sam Ellinger told us, we're back when Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Of course, we weren't back. Joe Tessitore sent me a video on Saturday night saying, Will Texas is back, folks. Because this was different. Normally, Texas pulled off a victory while not having the same kind of talent base as many of these schools in the SEC, full of five stars like Georgia and Alabama. Sure, Texas recruits a few five stars and more than their regional competitors at Baylor or Texas Tech that all too often beat Texas, but they weren't recruiting at the same level as Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. And that manifested physically, most obviously, on the size of the offensive and defensive lines. You could just see. Those guys were playing big boy football, and Texas was playing something more finesse. It also manifested in speed, the wide receiver position, the linebacker position. SEC schools flew around, making plays and making tackles. But on Saturday night, That was Texas. They were every bit as big, every bit as violent, every bit as mean as Alabama. More so, Texas pushed around Alabama, and Texas had the speed. At linebacker, Dave Gbenda, Anthony Hill, freshman, making plays. Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jatavion Sanders, a wide receiver and tight end, making huge plays. And quarterback Quinn Ewers was a stud. He leveled up. I have had my hopes and some of my doubts, some skepticism about Quinn Ewers. Mainly, could he ever throw a deep ball, a vertical pass? Even, even Saturday night, I doubted it because they ran a play for Xavier Worthy to throw one. I thought, well, I guess they think the wide receivers are going to end up throwing the deep ball better than Quinn Ewers. But he dialed it in. And he threw deep touchdowns to Mitchell and to Worthy. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected. And they looked, Texas looked like a team, honestly, that could win it all. They survived a challenge from Alabama. Alabama came back and took a lead in the third quarter. You know, in late third quarter, I was on a text chain that night with the producers of this podcast, Patrick Hatton and James Laverty. Young James Laverty, although he's from New York, is a Texas Longhorn fan. And he, early in the fourth quarter, pronounced, Texas is back. I told him very politely to shut the F up. Don't say that, James. And quickly, Alabama came marching back. Alabama took the lead. I told young James that he was fired. You simply can't tempt fate like that. That's bad form. Everyone knows it. It's bad manners. It has no place in sports fandom. You cannot proclaim a game over that early. You should never proclaim Alabama out. And you cannot proclaim Texas is back until it's clear Texas is back. But Texas was back. 
They survived that challenge from Alabama and came roaring back 14 points in five minutes and just absolutely guaranteed the outcome. 34 to 24, Texas. James is not unemployed. He does not have to go full-time to the Brett Bayer podcast or the Ben Dominich podcast. He can stay involved with the Will Kane podcast, but he will not go unpunished. You need to help us out. Go onto my Twitter, email the show. He deserves punishment because even though he pulled it off, look, you can run through a dynamite factory with a lit match and survive, but you're still an idiot. So he must pay for his sins. He must pay for his stupidity. So help us out. What will be his punishment? I don't know. I haven't had much time to think about it because I haven't had much sleep. But I do know he's lucky to be employed, and now he has to pay his penance. But it doesn't make him wrong because I do believe it is the case now. And I don't think that I'm too early in saying Texas is back. Story number three. When are we going to learn it's not an injustice that male models don't make as much as female models? After the U.S. Open, where the women's champion is U.S. 19-year-old Coco Goff, the runner-up, Arena Sabalinka, said the following in her post-match press conference. She said, I think women deserve to be paid the same as men. We sacrifice a lot. We work really hard. It's not like we're doing nothing and they pay us the same. We deserve to be paid the same. The level is probably different. Men are stronger, but we are putting, we are still putting a lot of work in. I think we deserve to be paid the same. Okay, we could quickly dispatch with the factual inaccuracies. The female tennis players are not working as hard as the men's tennis players. That's just a quantifiable fact. The men play five sets. The women play three sets. That's vastly different. That's a different game. That's different length. And therefore, it's a different amount of work. Now, I'm not taking away from Coco Goff or Ariana Sabalenka or Serena Williams how hard they work to achieve the height of their craft. It's incredibly commendable. They are great, great, world-class athletes. But they can't keep turning that fact or their hard work into a call for equal pay. It simply doesn't make any logical sense. No one can offer an argument that makes a bit of sense that Arena Sabalenka should be making the same amount of money as Novak Djokovic. This is where the three sets versus five sets actually becomes instructive because we don't, we don't quantify someone's market value by effort and sacrifice and hard work devoted Now, look, effort and hard work and sacrifice are necessary but insufficient components. Necessary in most cases. I shouldn't say all because there are world-class talents that do get by with less hard work and sacrifice. But for most, they're necessary but insufficient ingredients in a recipe for success. Obviously, you need luck. You need talent. You need timing. But also, when it comes to compensation, not just a championship, but actual market compensation, you need market value. And when it comes to sports, that means entertainment value. Sabalenka and Djokovic are entertainers. And entertainment, you are paid according to the eyeballs you attract. 
And women's sports does not attract the number of eyeballs, despite the effort and hard work and sacrifice put in, that is attracted by men's sports. This is where I said three sets to five sets actually becomes something that matters. How many commercial breaks can you put into a three-set match versus a five-set match? How much longer is the average viewership? How much longer is a person exposed to sponsorships around the court? On the shirt? That's just a factual reason that you would have less value, less market value, if you're playing three sets versus five sets. But there's also just the realities of life. More people watch men's basketball than women's basketball. More people watch men's soccer than women's soccer. More people watch men's tennis than women's tennis. And that translates into market value. I don't know why we have to keep coming back to this. Why people think just because I work, if it were factually true, I work just as hard as someone else. Well, who's going to measure that? Who's going to measure your sacrifice? Are we going to have a czar of effort? Who can go around measuring everyone's sacrifice and doling out compensation accordingly? No, we have a market. There are, there are bricklayers, men and women, who work harder and sacrifice more than Ariana Sabalenka. That's true. Just because she's a world-class tennis player doesn't mean her sacrifice or work is that much harder than someone else doing something that is far less compensated and correlated with far less fame. But the bricklayer doesn't get to claim his sacrifices on his W-2, adjust his payment, except as compared to other bricklayers. And for tennis, she only gets to compare her hard work and sacrifice in the in so much as it manifests in championships, and only championships because in so much as it adva- advances a bigger stage and more eyeballs. But still, those have to be compared to eyeballs of others, like men's tennis players. There are darts champions. There are... Male models who work incredibly hard, but they don't make as much. The dart champion is the tennis player, or the male model as much as the female model. The male model does not make as much as the female model. I'm sure the requirements for him are just as hard. I'm sure the amount of time he devotes to his profession is just as much. I'm sure the sacrifices that he has made to his life to achieve the heights of the male model profession are just as much as the female model. But he does not make as much. Why? Because the market does not value what he does in the same way the market values a female model. Not as many people care. Not as many eyeballs look at him as they do Heidi Klum. And that's just the reality of life. That is not an injustice. And that is not so hard to understand. That's going to do it for me today. Let's hope that I'm sitting here somewhere today with a cherry on top, a redemption for a bad weekend with the victory of the Dallas Cowboys over the New York Giants. We'll talk about that a little bit later this week on the Will Kane podcast, along with your help in figuring out how to punish young James. I'll see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.